Welcome to the Audio Conference for Pastors. This episode is an archived broadcast with our host, Bobby Gilstrap. Bobby is a former pastor, church starter, director of missions, and now the lead missionary and executive director for the Baptist State Convention of Michigan. Now, let's join Bobby and his guests for this archived edition of the Audio Conference for Pastors. Welcome to our Audio Conference for Pastors on how to be a comeback church with our guest, Dr. Ed Stetzer. Uh, my name is Bobby Gilstrap, and I'm the host for today's conference. Let me introduce you to our guest for today's conference. Uh, Ed Stetzer is the director of LifeWay Research and missiologist in residence for LifeWay Christian Resources. Before going to LifeWay in June of 2007, Stetzer served as the senior director of the Center for Missional Research at the North American Mission Board uh, there in Atlanta or Alpharetta for about nine years. Stetzer holds a Doctor of Philosophy degree, Doctor of Ministry degree, as well as two Master's degrees. He's planted churches, served as a pastor, and helped revitalize churches in four different states. He's the author of multiple books for Broadman and Holman Publishing Group, including Breaking the Missional Code and Comeback Churches, How 300 Churches Turned Around, and How Yours Can Too. Stetzer is recognized as an authority on evangelism and church planting. He and his wife, Donna, have three children. This is Dr. Stetzer's second audio conference for pastors with us. His first conference was last September. We're making it an annual thing, and uh, his conference last time was Your Church's Missional Ministry in Culture, and it's still available on our website as a podcast if there's an interest in listening to it. Ed, that's a long introduction, I guess, but, buddy, we're glad to have you joining us today, and welcome to today's audio conference for pastors. Oh, thank you so much, Bobby. Great to have my mom write that introduction for you, and I appreciate being with you. Well, it was a, a, a valuable thing to have her send in those notes for me. <laughs> Actually, your new boss, Dr. Rayner, sent that to me. Oh, he's very he wanted to make sure you looked good. So. There you go. Anyway, well, look, do us a favor. Uh, we don't want to kill too much time with the chit-chat because we have a lot of stuff we want to cover, and there's no way to really cover it all. But uh, how, how about you kind of setting the stage for us, kind of give us a good introduction uh, as we begin on, on the, the study itself and uh, why, why this is important for us to do Comeback Churches. Sure, no question. Uh, well, thank you again for having me, Bobby. And, and you know, for, for us, you know, for, for Mike and I, Mike Dodson, really the brains of the book, uh, Mike and I wrote the book together, you know, we just have a passion for church. You know, Ephesians 3.10 reminds us that God has chosen the church to make known his manifold wisdom in the world. And, and one way to do that is through church planning. You and I have journeyed on that together, and, and uh, that's such an important thing. We don't need less of that. We need more of that. But we also have to remember that we also need to see churches stagnant and stuck turn around to evangelistic vitality, to missional effectiveness again. And the reality is, is well, they're often not. You know, so we, so for me, when I was a professor at Southern Seminary, I had the privilege of journeying with a church of, of mainly senior adults. Uh, the median age of the church was 68 years of age to really uh, turn around, to come back, whatever term you want to use, and really to engage their community for the cause of the gospel. And so for me, I just fell in love with the fact that, that it doesn't just uh, mean, just because a church is stuck in stagnant doesn't mean it needs to stay there forever. It can get a renewed sense of vision and reach its community for the good news of Jesus Christ. And so after that, I, I had, I've been asked to do a couple of other churches through that in kind of an intentional interim, fell in love with it, with it, and uh, and Mike shared a passion for it, and so we teamed up on this project. This was actually a project we did at the at the North American Mission Board at the Center for Missional Research there that you mentioned a minute ago. But we actually uh, we partnered with uh, with research teams and, and and got information from ten different denominations. 
and we ask them, you know, what could to identify churches that had experienced significant transformation. We actually had some some qualifications that may be a little too spec- specific on details, but basically these are churches that were declining for a number of years, five years, say, and then an experienced growth through evangelism growth, through conversion growth of two to four years. And then we surveyed them. We, we, we contacted them. We just determined that the best people to ask about how churches can get re-energized and refocused on God's mission was people who are actually part of churches that did that. It, it's great to write theory and say, yeah, if you did these five things, I think this would happen. But we wanted to ask them. And so we asked them, and we report some of that in Comeback Churches. But also, I mean, we just we didn't want to, you know, there, you can put books full of graphs and charts and and that sort of thing, but that's not that's not the life. We also wanted to bring the Word of God, hopefully a focus on the spiritual leadership, on missional thinking to the book. And so it's kind of a, a combination of that research and combined with, uh, you know, you've got the facts and research, but combined with, you know, hopefully some advice and exhortation to pastors and leaders because it's a difficult task. You know, we, we found of the churches we surveyed, uh, 324 to be exact, that they represented, based on our analysis, only 1%, about 1%, of the denominations, churches, you know, um, my denomination and, and nine others, qualified for the study. So the reality is it's not an easy task, but it's a, ce- a central and important task. Why? Because God has chosen the church to make known his manifold wisdom in the world. Well, Ed, we've kind of set aside these seven questions that must be answered. Uh, and let's just start walking through those, because I think that uh, is a good framework for us to try to unpack the rest of the 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 idea of how to be a comeback church and and even some principles to help us to be able to do that effectively in our own churches. Uh, so let's just start with that first question. Uh, why was it so important to study comeback churches? And let's do the why uh, to that. You've already unpacked some of that, but let's uh, deal with that a little bit more. Well, because it's most of us. I mean, ultimately, the the most of most churches in North America today are stuck. I mean, statistics tell us that we've all heard the numbers, but I guess it's probably worth just touching on just briefly. You know, we in 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 my own denomination, 89% of the churches, according to a recent study by the Level Center uh, at New Orleans Seminary, 80, 89% are not growing through evangelistic conversions, and that's that's huge. And and we found that to be not just the case in ours. We we shared two other examples: the Nazarenes and the Assemblies of God graciously allowed us to to share some of their numbers in the book as well. And so I think if we're going to talk about turnaround and come back and revitalization, we've we've just got to recognize that that's who we are. The church in North America today is in decline, and we need to recognize that. And uh, leadership uh, leadership journal, the publication of Christianity Today, recently did a an issue on that on that very topic. And and you know they they talked about over three hundred thousand churches in need of revitalization. So I think we can't in with all of our enthusiasm, we want to be planting churches. And I want to say again, we need to do more of that. It it disturbs me when people use church revitalization as a foil to attack church planting. But I think with all the church planting we can do, we should do more. But we've got to also recognize that if we have you know, 300,000 stagnant congregations in need of a comeback, that we've got to recognize this is the this is, you know, the, the, what Ross Pro used to call that crazy ant in the basement that, that nobody wants to talk about. And we've got to talk about this and say we've got to make a change. So I think it's important because the gospel is going to be communicated through biblically sound, biblically faithful, transforming churches. And we've got too few of those in North America today. Now, what, what do you see as the big question, the principles 
from the Comeback Churches study that could guide the pastors and churches down that road to revitalization. Yeah, the, there there were several several uh, big issues that were that were there, and and one of them we just wanted to ask is you know we asked the obvious question, what did you do? And that, and that's you know that seemed obvious. Well, we changed this or we did that, and those are helpful. But we also wanted to ask questions like, what did the Lord do in your church? Uh, what did you pray? What did you believe differently for the glory of God? What 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 attitudinal shifts took place there? And so we we focused on on all of those issues at, at something of a of a deeper level uh, than just uh, you know hey they typically did you know these things at seven percent of the time you know because I mean we've we've all seen that and 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 I think we need to do something more broadly really engage what was God doing in these churches and then we try to hopefully encourage and exhort pastors and church leaders to to look to the Lord to do a work. Um and it was it was fun, Bob, because we, we talked to churches from ten denominations and and you know they they often talked about some sort of just cathartic meeting where the Lord showed up in in a powerful way, in a transforming way and and uh, and yet it was so interesting as they kind of communicated it differently. Um, the you know because the, the 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 you know this group you know the assemblies of God might communicate differently than the Nazarenes and the Baptists but but either way God showed up and we just we just wanted to celebrate the Lord being at work. Well, I think it's it's uh, <clears throat> best word I can think of is is it's neat that you found many of the same characteristics across the denominational lines. This isn't an issue that is just a you know a Southern Baptist issue. It's an issue that that's about Christ's bride yeah. uh, is what's going on. Yeah, and, and I think you hit it exactly right. You know, I just put an article out in uh, Catalyst Monthly. It's the Catalyst you know conference publication. I I talked, unpacked it a little bit on my blog, edstetzer.com, and and you know, I, you know, I think the title was "You Can't Love Jesus and Hate His Wife," and I think ultimately, and and, and I probably went on a bit of a rant in the article, but I, I think ultimately, we've really, when the church is in decline, it's easy not to love the church because she can be unlovable. But again, there's only one bride of Christ. You know, this the church isn't the center of God's plan; Jesus is, but the church is central to God's plan. And I think we have to recognize that, that that we can't love Jesus and just consider the bride of Christ irrelevant or unhelpful. Uh, you know, Ed, sometimes uh, in church ministry, we find ourselves driven by uh, emotion and how things feel and, and kind of our observation. But I think it's pretty critical that we uh, take the time to identify things that are measurable, things that are identifiable as uh uh, solid steps, foundational steps to grow on. One of the things that you guys did in this study is you were able to identify the three faith factors that influence these comeback churches. Uh, talk to us a little bit about those factors. Well, you know, and there's a, there's a story to those, Bobby, too. As I, uh, we really, uh, Mike and I, really believe that the work of church transformation is a spiritual work. Um, as a matter of fact, we really we I, I was in the course of writing this book. I was corresponding with my friend Bill Eason, and Bill's kind of this uh, you know great mainline church thinker and consultant. And he kept challenging me to say, you know, keep talking about church revitalization. We don't need revitalization. We need resurrection. Only God can bring about a resurrection. And he he kept pushing and challenging. He's, and he's got a book out on on, on I think it's going to be called Church Resurrection. It might be out already. Well, you know, we knew that that was a spiritual work. Only the Holy Spirit can breathe new life into that which is dead. Um, and so we really were hopeful that those spiritual factors would rise to the top. 
Um, and, and, you know, in research, you know, the, the problem is everyone sort of pretends that you don't have hopes coming into research, but we did. The, the trick is to identify them and then to be honest about the conclusions. Well, to be honest, our conclusions weren't what we had first hoped. We, uh, the number one issue, we really didn't want it to be, Bobby, but the number one issue was leadership. And uh, we didn't want it to be because, you know, it's so, you know, I don't know, it's just so cliche. It's so, you know, you can't live the dream unless you have the team, the whole, you know, of rhyming leadership principles and cliches. And I, But at the end of the day, we just found it to be the case that leadership was there. But, but we, we, it was so central. The first factor, we, everything, you know, the whole cliche, everything rises and falls on leadership. But leadership didn't just exercise leadership for the sake of having followers. Leaders, these pastors, led people to spiritual practices. And I think that's so important that we get that. And we ask them, you know, what were those spiritual factors that were, were brought to the forefront of, of your church in this process? And we call those the three faith factors. And, and they were first, a, a renewed belief in Jesus Christ and the mission of the church. And so they really they fell in love with Jesus and his bride again. And, and, and I think that's so important. And it seems so obvious, but this, these, these three faith factors stood above uh, the others. And secondly, they had a renewed attitude of servanthood. Um, you know, it's it's interesting to me that when Jesus um, is described in the in, in Philippians in the great canonic hymn, you know, who although he existed in the very form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself. This incredibly, you know, incredibly important theological hymn that Paul, writing Philippians under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, puts right before it: "Have this attitude in yourselves." which was also in Christ Jesus, and then gives the height of canonic theology, the emptying theology of the New Testament. Well, I think that these churches got in the business of serving one another and serving their communities for the cause of Christ. And and, and we heard a lot of stories about how they they, they almost you know would go uh, you know above and beyond. And a lot of times these churches experience radical change. And radical change is typically not received well in most of our churches. But these churches, when they fell in love with Jesus and his church again, and had a renewed attitude of servanthood, they were willing to do what it takes to, if you will, give up their own preferences. I talked some about that in Break the Break of the Missional Code podcast we did. But they were able to give up their own preferences for the glory of God and the transformation of their communities. And thirdly, they just had a more strategic prayer effort. You know, these folks, we heard story after story of how, how they, prayer became central and important. Uh, they, and many of these churches moved from kind of the organ recital prayer meeting where, you know, my spleen hurts or my kidney hurts or my aunt has a, you know, has a hurt pancreas. And, and they still prayed for those needs, but they really got to Great Commission praying. They got to, uh, you know, God's glory-centered praying. And so it's, it's an amazing, amazing thing to hear the spiritual transformation. But, but we, we can't miss this, that leaders led their churches to. Um, one of the things we did different, you know, Tom Rainer wrote a great book, uh, Breakout Churches, and one of the qualifications he had, I, I, they studied, uh, you know, a little uh, handful kind of churches. It was much more of a focused, qualitative study. We we went a little different direction. We did first of all, his his study was good to great, and a great study uh, of of a smaller number of churches. What we did is our study is from bad to good. And what we looked at, we looked at a broader cat, uh, you know, broader number, you know, three hundred plus. But the other thing that we did is we didn't factor out intentionally those who had uh, not changed church. That would be the same pastor. That's what, that's what Tom did. And I think that one of the brilliant insights of his book is doing that. Well, we, we wanted to ask just the question of what led to the revivalization. And 
in in sixty percent of the about sixty percent of the time there was a new pastor leading that church. And so and that that's hard for us to hear. Many pastors are on this line today. But here's the thing that I thought was incredibly interesting is that when we we went back, we did this in two phases. We don't talk a lot about it a lot in the book, but we really want to go back to some of these pastors and say, all right, well, give us more. So we did our first phase calling, and then we went back and, and focused in on another 70, 75 of them, and particularly those who had stayed at their churches. And you know what they said over and over? It was fascinating. They said that, you know, I, yeah, I was a new leader. You know, so, so even the pastors who were there said there was new leadership, but it was them. And so the pastors on the phone call today can be encouraged that they can be that kind of leader that God calls them to be. Forty percent of the pastors, over 100 of the pastors represented here, were the same leader before the comeback and after the comeback. Not the same, I should say the same person, but a different kind of leader. And what they led people to were these faith, faith factors, renewed belief, servanthood, and strategic prayer. You know, at a pastor's breakfast a few weeks ago, I shared that statistic uh, from your book with some of our pastors that were there, and they kind of looked at me like, well, that's not much encouragement, Bob, <laughs> you know. And I said, no, you need you need to get the whole deal in context right. uh, for that very reason, that yep. there there is hope, uh, but there are some definitive things that we need to be aware of, which brings me to ask you our next question, and that is, you know, what kind of preaching and worship style did, did you find was most effective in these comeback churches? Well, you know, let's start with the with the worship style issue because that that's always uh, you know an issue that people kind of want to unpack, and it can be a little bit of a a little bit of a challenge for some folks. Um, first, let me say this: we didn't find that one worship style was the only worship style. Uh, one of the things we did is, you know, what do the what do these things mean anymore? You know, it's it's uh, it's it's you know, it's, what is contemporary worship? I don't know that people know that anymore. How do you define or describe those things? So. What we did is we we tried to unpack, um, you know, by asking specific questions. For example, we asked them to explain worship moods, from celebrative to um, to solemn and different things. And so uh, the, the churches overwhelmingly describe themselves as celebrative, orderly, and informal. Now, seventy percent, about sixty nine percent to be exact, Bobby, they define themselves as as contemporary. Um, and, and to be fair, and I think it would be disingenuous to not point this out, is that comeback churches were more contemporary than traditional, and, and uh, at, at a pretty high level. Uh, and that, that was one of the common shifts that the churches talked about as they move from a traditional to a contemporary uh, approach. But it wasn't universal uh, by any stretch of the imagination. In, in matter of fact, for example, 30% of churches that were comeback churches had an organ in their church service. Uh, now, 71% had guitar, so it kind of tells you, you know, uh, where that is. Now, how do you describe those things? Well, we, we asked them their musical selections, and 90% said they used praise choruses, and we would identify and recognize what those might be. Uh, 75% said they used traditional hymns, and 59% said they used contemporary Christian music, you know, the different genre. And so so what basically is, and this is kind of a key study, There was they were celebrative, they were orderly, but it didn't mean their worship service was without structure. I mean, they were celebrative with structure. It was done in an orderly fashion, and and really it kind of pointed a trend. Again, they're more contemporary, less formal, especially combining information about you know instruments and musical selections kind of point to that uh, being the case. In preaching, uh, Bobby, they they were much uh, much more over them all over the map. Um, I, I think uh, ultimately we we have to say there's not one form of preaching. That these folks used as exclusively the we did ask by preaching styles and uh, and and only fifteen percent said 
they preach exclusively using one approach, you know, verse by verse, topical, thematic, or narrative. So only 15% said, this is the only way I preach. But what happens is, is that 53% of those who indicated that they had a style, 53% um, did use verse by verse uh, biblical exposition. Uh, the numbers were uh, topical was 28%, thematic was 12%, narrative was 6%, and other was 1%. Um, and so what, there's, what we saw was a, a sense that, that biblical preaching was, well, here's some, some things we said. Comeback leaders know that preaching is more than just persuasive speech. And they were able to bring people to focus on the word of God and the work of God through their sermons. And I think that's a key issue that they identified there. But I, I also would say that there was a diversity of styles and a diversity of approaches uh, in those in that preaching, I do think that we heard over and over again biblical preaching being a primary value of those churches. So <clears throat> you found that uh, the the kind of preaching was very diverse, uh, yet it was consistent, and there was variety yeah. uh, in what was done as far as the preaching. But yet you found a pretty high level of consistency in the worship moods, the the type of music and things that contributed to worship. Uh, and, of course, preaching is a part of most worship services, obviously, as well. Right. But the sense of people in those congregations found it to be much more celebrative, even though orderly, but informal and contemporary. Yep, I think that's fair. Yeah. Okay. Now, let's talk about the evangelistic methods that okay. you discovered. Uh, what are, are are there best evangelistic methods or strategies that these comeback churches uh, implemented that we can look at implementing in our churches? Well, I think the answer is yes and no. Uh, I guess that's the answer to most questions, isn't it? Um, you know, they use multiple methods, so we can't say that that you know they all used you know Friend Day, though many did. We can't say they all used you know uh, Seeker Outreach Services, though many did. Um, what we can say is that they had an intentionality about evangelism, and that that shouldn't be surprising. Bobby, because we we basically only looked for and approved to be in our sample those who had evidenced that evangelistic uh, results, if you will, that people were coming to Christ in these churches. These weren't just churches that, that were picking up people from down the road because they had a better music program, but they were reaching the loss, and that's key, and I think that's key for our churches as well. And so what we found is is that they used a variety of approaches but the approaches that they used were intentional in the strategies that they did undertake. Um, and what we also found was many of them, because many of these churches were denominational, a lot of them used their denominational program for this, the, the different strategy that was there. And, of course, you know, I learned about some different denominational programs, that, that uh, like Growing Healthy Churches is an alliance program. And, and what's interesting is it sounds very similar to other programs. It just happens to be you know, denomination-specific. Uh, we did find that the largest number of people who indicated they kind of had a certain strategy, uh, matter of fact, it was three times larger than the second answer, was outreach events. You know, folks consistently used outreach events and gave people permission and created venues for them to, for, for believers to both bring unchurched friends, but also those events weren't always in the church. They weren't always attractional events. Many of them were incarnational events. They were in the communities as well. And so in those communities, they in, in, in that community, they, they began to build relationships and really further and deepen relationships with those who were far from Christ. So I think outreach events was overwhelmingly there. And then there's, you know, the different things. Uh, we had preaching. Uh, just over 10% said preaching was one of the effective ways to reach people. Evangelistic preaching was around 10% as well. And 
Um, but but the, you know, then there were certain programs like uh, like a program called Grow, program called Faith. Uh, many of them said that they planted a church as part of their evangelistic strategy, which I thought was encouraging. So what we did is we built some advice out of that, and one is is create a special ministry or service. It might be you know being in a park, it might be doing something at church, but to make that outreach intentional events helpful. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that, that I've done in churches I've pastored is is we'll often take a month in the year and my message will will be more uh, more geared towards with a recognition that there are people who are without Christ in church. And we might, hey, this month we want, you know, really be intentional about bringing people and, uh, and or we might do something at the, the park to serve people, to serve in evangelism. I and mean, we've, we've heard a lot of stories like that. Did I lose you, Bobby? Nope, there we are. Okay, good deal. Yeah, just drop for a minute. No problem. Uh, <clears throat> run through real quickly the seven evangelistic principles that uh, you saw these churches pretty consistently uh, utilizing. Sure, sure. Well, for us, we, we we began to look for patterns. You know, so much when you do research, you don't just want to crank out graphs, but you want to ask for, uh, you know, what are the patterns that are taking place there? And we kind of uh, put them together in, you know, it began with a, a compelling church, uh, a sense of church vision, uh, you know, they, they, you know, it wasn't just you can get up every week and tell people reach your friends, but what we wanted to do was to, you know, kind of ask them the bigger and the broader question of do you love the lost? And so it began with a, principle number one was the greatest motivation for evangelism is our own relationship with God, compelling us to love those He loves. Comeback pastors are able to cast a compelling vision for outreach that's shared by the leadership and then the congregation, and that comes back to that leadership issue. Churches. Maybe it's just the nature of who we are as, as believers. We need to be what the Bible calls in Hebrews provoked to love and good deeds. And so these comeback pastors provoke their congregations to love and good deeds. Um, and and the principle number two is in order to train people to go and tell, we will need to teach them to live like Jesus, to, to live like a messenger of God in the world. And so I think that was a key issue. And this is where the missional thing really becomes key is that they're to live – as missionaries in their context. Um, thirdly, it was to organize for evangelism using multiple methods. We really began to see all kinds of different strategies. And the language that I've tried to use, and Bobby, part of this is my own bias, I think that as evangelicals, we have been so focused on telling, and I think we need to be, uh, see, I don't even believe that. <laughs> I think we've been, we've talked about telling so much but we haven't talked about being and doing, and I think now many are kind of going the other direction and talking about being and doing, and they're de-emphasizing telling. I think we've got to be, do, and tell the gospel, and all of those things matter. It's not it's not even two sides to one coin. It's just the nature of God's mission. Number four, comeback churches have learned that it takes a whole church to win a community, but it takes a leader to help them do so. Had some great examples. Uh, we tell a story of an Assemblies of God pastor who just has led the whole staff, and they've just kind of just bathe their church in reaching out to the community. It's very encouraging. Number five was comeback churches know that the whole church has to embrace the mandate for evangelism. Everyone should be involved in one of different levels. And that was a key issue and uh, in that process. Number six was comeback churches said that creating an environment in which spontaneous and planned evangelism take place is key. Um, and then lastly, number uh, the last thing we looked at was comeback churches recognized purposefully uh, recognize, purposely plan for, and utilize doors of entry into the church. And so, uh, and we talked about some of those in the book as well. Absolutely. Well, let me uh, challenge you. We're 
have three questions left, and we're down to about ten minutes before oh, we want to open the phone. Uh, Bobby, so. I got more. I got words, man. I got a lot of words. <laughs> I know. We, we should trim this down to, to when we do an Ed Stetzer conference to the two questions he wants to talk about most. <laughs> yeah, you, uh, you do have this format. It's a pretty neat format. Seven questions that must be answered, and so we got to get them done, or else yeah, we, you are going to be a fraud so, uh, across all of America. Don't talk faster because we're we're hanging on now trying to take notes. All right, go uh, for it. I'm ready. Let's look at question five. Yeah. Uh, in what areas must we see transformation for our churches to experience comeback? I can't think so. any. Let's go on to number six so we get them all. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I would yeah, say sure. we've, <laughs> we've got to see transformation in the – I think first and foremost in a heart attitude. I, I think we don't we don't have the right hurt for the lost. I think we, 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 we hurt for our own preferences rather than hurting for the loss. You know, quick story, I, I, I wear funny-shaped shoes because I have funny-shaped feet. I buy my shoes, and I, I will wear my shoes forever, and I will never change them because it takes me the first three weeks to wear them in so they don't hurt. And then what will happen is I'll go through spring, and I'll get a hole, and the hole will grow, and it will grow in the summer and the fall. It will be, you know, three inches wide. The bottom of my shoe is falling apart, and, but I'm fine until the winter comes and then it's rainy in Atlanta or Nashville and I'll step in a puddle and freezing cold water will rush up between my toes and and I'll say whoo only then will I change my shoes here's the principle and we need to learn this for our churches people never change until the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of change I think ultimately by we have not hurt for the right reasons in our churches we've been hurt we've had our feelings hurt we've hurt other people's feelings but Jesus walked down that, 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 that hillside outside of Jerusalem, and he looked, and he wept because he saw the people there as sheep without a shepherd. I think when our heart hurts for the lost, far from Christ, people who without Christ will spend eternity separated from him, then we'll have the right hurt. That's the transformation I'd like to see us have. Yeah, the little phrase I use sometimes, Ed, is a uh, in fact I wrote it on my blog this morning, uh, that sometimes that we forget to focus on people, the lost people like we need to. Yeah. And we begin to spend all our time primping up property and propping up programs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you know, and that's kind of what we do sometimes that's in churches. True. That becomes our our uh, mechanics uh, as such. Well, let's look at question number six. What must we specifically do then as leaders to lead a comeback church? Well, I think as leaders, one of the first things we've got to recognize is that God uses leaders to transform churches. Now, that's not all he uses, and I think sometimes we forget that. We think, you know, we're God's gift to leadership, and we're going to come in and change a church. But but we've got to lead our people to the right focus as a church. And I think the focus of the church ought to be to bring God glory and and equip believers and then transform communities. And so I think I think leaders... You know, one of, the, one of the things we talked about in the book is leaders help define reality. Most churches are in denial. They don't recognize that they've been declining for 10, 15 years. And so we've got to help them define reality and then listen to the Lord together, not force an outside agenda, but listen to the Lord together to figure how to get out of that trouble. What cautions, then, are you going to give to us? Uh, we've got a lot of guys on the line today that are pastoring churches that have been there for 20 years, 30 years, 40, 50, some of them may be better than 100 years. Yeah. Uh, and and you're not prescribing uh, a one, two, three method to turn a church around, uh, but there's some dangers to trying to uh, reverse the trend of a, a declining church or a plateauing church. Uh, what, what cautions or warnings would you give us about leading our churches to come back? Yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, the I, I think a big part of that is we have to recognize 
that this is actually a lot more rare than I think. Well, maybe we know that. I don't know. You know, if we're talking one percent of the churches met our criteria, you know, there, you know, our criteria was that they were stagnant for a while. So it doesn't mean only one percent of the churches get revitalized. But, but I think it's a harder task than a lot of people realize. And so, I think if if I had to give advice to leaders, which is what you're asking me to do, is is I would really look hard and long at my own leadership and what I need to do and be differently for the cause of Christ to lead this church into that sort of transformation. I don't think that's. Um, I just don't think that's 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 easy. I think I think we've got to go that journey. Um, but uh, so first and foremost, I, I would say I would say recognize the difficulty, and then really seek the Lord in that. I, and I, I don't, you know, I, I don't want to make every answer uh, pray, but I'm okay making every answer pray, because ultimately I think we those who are the best leaders are often have some of the least developed spiritual lives. And I think that that is a problem because when you have natural leadership gifts, you tend to rely on those rather than the Lord. So I would say natural-born leaders need to go to the Lord and ask him for guidance, and those who aren't natural-born leaders need to go to the Lord and ask him for leadership. But I think both of the answers are found in that right relationship with God that then we lead out of a spiritual leadership rather than a carnal leadership. So I would say I would say recognize it's hard. Number two, really become spiritually prepared. And number three, I would say it's got to be a sense that we've got to be prepared our uh, ourselves. You know, what is it? You know, you know, we didn't books like Comeback Churches. What's the intent? Well, you know, not not to say, hey, look, you know, this is what we found out, but to help equip people. You've got to get equipped. I get out there and I'd I'd get breakout churches. You know, I get out there. I'd read Simple Church. You know, I, I'd I'd read these resources that will help me, and I'd become an expert and then get my my board uh, and my my leadership, my common leaders on the same page. I think part of the challenge is getting us on the same page and pulling together. Uh, let, let me weave this in. We've gotten several email questions. I had just, just haven't been able to weave in. But when you're talking about leadership and you're talking about the small number of churches making the turn uh, and giving us some of these warnings uh, that, that we need to be prepared, the, the spiritual preparation, all that, uh, Daryl Wilson in Louisville, Kentucky, emailed a moment ago, uh, and he said, here's my question. Uh, why aren't there more comeback churches than 1%? How could church consultations increase that number yeah uh, and, and I think it's a, a valid question if we're talking one percent or less of churches are actually able to do it uh, where's the hope yeah well let me say this let me say because I mentioned a minute ago that one percent of churches met our criteria so and our criteria was you had to be declining for five years and so and then you had to grow and you had to grow you know you had to be grow at least two years to four years well you know, a lot of these churches might have turned around six years ago and so they didn't meet our criteria. So it doesn't mean 1% of churches are reaching people for Jesus. It means 1% met our criteria that we kind of unpack. You know, I briefly gave a description. Um, but but let me do this church. I think this church consultation thing is huge. Um, you know, I, I've done a little bit, and I've just found that I, I – and, and found it very, uh, very fulfilling to encourage pastors on that journey. Um, but I think ultimately – that a, what a church consultant can help with, can help a pastor to do, is to really identify reality in the congregation and then kind of bring the congregation on the same team. See, there's certain things that a consultant can say that maybe a pastor can't. Um, I always get a kick out of Lyle Schaller. He he does a lot of church consulting. He told me now that he starts every consultation. He gathers the whole church together in one room, and uh, he gets them all together. So right, I got a question for you. I want to, we got to kind of have this discussion, but we've got to we've got to have this conversation. He says, all right, and, and the whole congregation is paying attention to it. It's, you know, it's it's Lyle Schaller, and he says, you know, what year is it here? And I, I think that's such an 
important because he's trying to recognize that churches have often become nostalgic and stuck in might be the 70s or the or the 90s or the you know 1560s for that matter and so he really tries to ask those hard questions and so I'm kind of excited about that. And, and, and Lifeway uh, Church Consulting, I, I don't want to make too much of a shameless plug because I don't get anything out of it, uh, but Lifeway Church Consulting has really retooled themselves in the last month to begin to offer some of the services to churches. And Lifeway has great stuff, but a lot of others do as well. I'd recommend you state conventions, those of you who are affiliated with our denomination, state conventions do that, other denominations do it. Um, I just spoke up in Minneapolis to the Evangelical Free Leadership, and they have a standard one of the participating denominations. They have a plan to help engage their churches. You know, here's what boils down to. You know, Bobby, both you and I work for a denomination, you know, but here's the irony. God has given the mission to the church. So the reason we exist is to assist the church, and I think these are one of the ways we can do it. Absolutely. Well, Ed, I've got us uh, sitting right at time to open the phone lines, and we want to do that because we want to give folks ample time uh, to be able to ask questions. Uh, so, so let's do this. I'm going to ask all of our participants, if you will, we're going to ask you to self-mute your phone, uh, and you need to do that by pressing 4 star. Now, Ed and I were talking beforehand about our last conference. All through the, the Q&A, we kept hearing people's conversation and somebody in the background on a speakerphone come in with a message or something. So uh, everybody else doesn't want to hear what's happening in your room. Uh, so if you will help us with that, we're going to press four star uh, on your individual phone to mute your phone. And we're going to unmute all the phones from Arian. Uh, and then what we're going to ask you to do is if you have a question and would like to chime in with a question or, or a discussion topic uh, for Dr. Stetzer, you can press four star again, and that will unmute the phone uh, at that point. So um, uh, we want to ask you to do that uh, here in just a minute. Uh, so first let me unmute uh, the phone, and that should have done it. Uh, and so we're going to open up the phone lines. Let's ask you to do this. Uh, if you have a question, if you'll do us all a favor, uh, give us your name before you ask your question or make your comment, uh, and tell us where you're calling from. Uh, and that way Dr. Stetzer will know who he's talking to. And uh, if there's much of a lull, then Dr. Stetzer and I will jump back in and carry on some more conversation. So uh, let's go ahead and open the lines up. Uh, someone want to give us your name and ask your first question. Now don't all jump at once. Take your time. Pace yourselves. See, we maybe they're still all muted. <laughs> Hang on a second, Ed. Okay, that showed muted. Hang on just a second. We're gonna do it. If you want. All right. Now then, anyone unmuted and would like to ask a question? Go right ahead. Hello, go ahead. We, we hear you in the background. Just speak up. Give us your name and where you're calling from. I have a question. My name is Johnny Wilson, Victoria. Yeah, can you move closer to your phone so we can hear you? Yes, my name is Johnny Wilson, Victoria, Texas. I have a question on the evangelism principles. What uh, What are you referring to when you say doors of entry? Okay, good question, uh, Johnny. In Victoria, Texas, good deal. Uh, what we're talking about is is to recognize that people will connect with believers in more than one setting. We've kind of, you know, for 20 years now, Johnny, what we've done is we've kind of had this idea, maybe it's 30 years, where if we had a great service that people would come, it's very much of an attractional mindset. You've got a great music, great preaching, you know, hundreds will come, thousands will be saved. Um, and the reality is, to, to be honest, that worked to some degree with boomers in the 80s and the 90s. But what we found now as we've kind of 
moved into the subsequent years of the third millennium is that pretty much everybody that wants to go to a really great church that's advertising itself as relevant or whatever we do in our ads already is. And and so now what we're finding is is that door which drew a lot of people in and really kind of helped birth this thing called the seeker movement there's just not that responsiveness. My, my friend Alan Hirsch talks about that a declining number of people will be reached by that kind of strategy. It doesn't mean none, but a declining number. And so what we rec- have to recognize is that it can't just be come to church. If, if we just teach our people to invest and invite, to use a, a common language, and we don't teach them that there are going to be other ways. Um, church I'm attending is now uh, moving to uh, asking churches, church families to host neighborhood just community conversations with those who are who are just live in their community and and that becomes another door of entry into the faith community called church um you know it might be you know uh you know children's activity it might be a servant evangelism project in the park but what it basically is 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 when we talk about doors we're talking about places for people to walk through and what are they entering into community now it's not it's not what we'd call covenant community. You're not asking to be a member of the church. I mean, that that's something we need to take, I think, a lot more seriously in, in, in evangelicalism in America today is that the being a part of a church is a covenant commitment. But it is bringing them into community with other believers so that they can be really challenged by the truth claims of the gospel and hopefully can and will make a commitment to Christ, a dangerous commitment in a safe place, that is with other believers. And so that's what I'm talking about is, is it's not just, we have historically just made it bring, well, I should say historically, this is a new development. The last 30 years, we basically said, you know, this, we're going to do it by bring, bringing seekers to church. And what I would say is that that has lost its effectiveness and in some ways distorted people's understanding of sharing their faith. I Let me give you an example. Because that worked, I think what happened is Christians changed the idea of what evangelism was. They began to believe evangelism was bringing their friends to church. When the reality is, is that could involve evangelism, but because it worked, we said just keep bringing your friends. We'll, you know, these religious professionals will seal the deal. The pastor will seal the deal, and the end result is, is that people have lost the ability to share Christ. I say it's like a, they're like a bear fed by the tourists, and now all of a sudden we lost our natural ability to share Christ. So I think finding those multiple doors for both personal and corporate witness are key. Great question. Good. Thank you, Johnny. And we have another question. Yeah, thank you, Ed, for that. i tell you what, let me uh, pause for a second. We got another email question a moment ago from Les Walton uh, in Montana. Uh, Les, are you on the line? Can you unmute your phone for a second? Why don't you just ask Ed your question directly? Les Walton from Montana. I love Montana. Hi, I love Montana, too. Can you hear me? I can. Yeah. Les, go ahead. You're great. Go ahead, Les. Okay, you can read the email. Really what I was trying to ask is what what can we do to create a a culture of revitalization among our churches and our associations in our state and even uh, being Baptist among them um, uh, to support churches that do want to revitalize and want to grow and come back? Yeah, great question. Um, I, I think the answer is is that we we people kind of start down the revitalization path and then back out. And the reason that they do is is they have low success rates. And, and what happens is, you know, just because, you know, denominations sort of by their nature have to be, you know, fair to everybody. Everybody can and should and will be a part of this. When the reality is, is most churches don't want to change, and it takes change to be revitalized. And so I think if we're going to create that culture, what we've got to do is we've got to build a coalition of the willing, to use a term that's come to mean different things in politics lately. 
but we got to create a coalition of the willing. And so I think, you know, you're the you're up there in Montana, and and uh, you know, I think I might say, you know, you might recognize that, you know, 60% of the churches that are part of a denomination don't, you know, they just don't want to listen to. And, and, you know, for whatever reason, it might be because they're doing great or they're doing poorly. They just don't pay attention to ideas that come from the denomination. And so I think ultimately you might have 40% to listen and then 20% that are willing. And so what I would suggest is is that instead of saying we're going to do, an, a, a, you know, a district-wide, association-wide, whatever the, you know, the, the local level of churches is, we're going to do a, a so-and-so-wide revitalization effort I would instead say we're going to find those who both the pastors and the leaders want to walk this journey, help them. They will then see the results of that, and that will inspire other churches. The one group I think that does a good job is a, is a, is a, a group called uh, Re, well, Refocusing.org. You can visit it on the web. Uh, it's a, it's a, with Church Resource Ministries. And what they do is they have a two-year process. And, uh, and some of the st- some of our st- uh, state conventions, kind of those of our state district levels, have partnered with them. And the first year, they just meet and kind of develop and train and help uh, resource the pastor. And then the second year, um, they uh, they bring in the church leaders, and they they basically have to uh, commit both the church and the pastor for this two year process. And so, but again, they go with the coalition of the willing, and they have seen some good results. And I, I think most denominations, number one, are not willing to say that you got to have a high level of commitment to get in, and and uh, and I think that's essential. And then, secondly, we've got to recognize that everyone's going to go that journey with us. Good Very question. Good. Thank you, Ed. Uh, thank you, Les, for that question. Uh, let's see if we have some other questions. Uh, someone else want to ask a question for Ed? Yeah, your phone, four star, and then give us your name and location. Let's go four star. Oh, you're good already. We can hear you. We hear you. Good. Yeah. So just speak up for us. Give us your name and location. <laughs> I think we had him mute himself back. I, th- I think he just <laughs> remuted himself. Uh, somebody else have a question for us. This is Michael Brown from uh, First Baptist Church in Winthrop Harbor, Illinois. Yes, Michael. Go right ahead and ask Ed your question. Um, I was concerned about uh, the difference between this um, conference and the emphasis on uh, natural church development. We've been through that uh, twice in our church, and I wondered if uh, how would how would this uh, conference differ from that? Uh, I mean, this conference call. I mean, I guess we're just you know the, the natural church development process. You know, is pretty well known. Looks at the uh, eight factors, and I. Um, you know, as far as the differences between the two, um, we don't really, I mean, we're just kind of sharing some observations and some exhortations. Um, we're, we're not necessarily promoting a tool that you would, you know, contract with to go take your church through. But I think natural church development has some, has some, uh, you know, observations there that are helpful, that there are, you know, that there are eight, they use the, the, the metaphor, if you will, a visual picture of a barrel with eight slats around it. And if you're low in some areas, the, the water, to use their metaphor, pours out. And so it's necessary to have a holistic approach to church and ministry. Part of my challenge and my exhortation to really to the whole church health movement would be is that we have to be more intentional. It's not just simply creating and facilitating eight things in our church, but I think a much more intentional outward focus is both necessary and what we're calling for in Comeback Churches is to be externally focused, to be missional, to be engaged in that 
you know, transformative activity in the community, both through the proclamation of the gospel and the showing of the gospel. I think that's very good, Ed, and I think it's helpful for us for us to look at that and and look at the comparison of those. Uh, thank you for that question. Uh, I tell you what, let's see. Uh, we've got an email question from Rob Freshour in South Lyon, uh, Michigan. Rob, are you on the line? Why don't you just ask that? Are you there? No, but somebody else is there. Sir, we can hear you. Go ahead and give us your question. Yeah, go ahead. I hear somebody there that's ready to ask. Go ahead. Give us your name and where you are. They must, right, not, they must not know we're talking to them. Okay. Uh, yeah, I know it. Well, that's one of the hard parts about this is identifying who, who and where yeah. uh, when you have that many folks. Okay. Uh, do we have somebody on the line who wants to ask yet another question? All right, Ed, let me just read you Rob's question. I, I'm not sure where he has disappeared to, or maybe he's having a problem with the, the mute function. But uh, he just asked, what resources or ideas can you recommend for pastors uh, to help them take a, a long, hard look at their own leadership uh, to assess the leadership uh, and, and the church needs, uh, how that would uh, unpack itself? Well, I think a lot of times you have to you have to go to the congregation and and ask some of those questions. And, you know, and I, I come from it from a theologically uh, based uh, congregationalism. I, I think ultimately congregations are the, you know, the final seat of authority and the lordship of Christ in the local church. So I, I would say, you know, theologically I tell people you need to go to the congregation. But regardless of whether or not, you know, all of our callers won't necessarily hold that theological view, um, regardless of whether or not you theologically hold it, practically there is a sense that you have to go and ask and bring on and bring along the congregation with you. I, I often joke that everyone's a congregationalist at the end of the day because people, people vote every day, they just vote with their feet. Um, and so I, I do think it is necessary to, as part of that process to really engage the congregation uh, as a whole. And you can do that through a lot of different ways. You can do that through surveys. Um, you know, and, and that, so the first resource, to answer his question, the first resource is where's the congregation and how do you determine where the congregation is. I think then the other resources are basically, you know, going to be kind of birthed out of where you're headed as a congregation. I think the great thing about the church today is, even though we're struggling, there are a lot of resources, um, and I think many of those different resources all accomplish kind of what the call is. Uh, you know, it's, it's you know, we heard, you know, this this church is using you know this growing healthy church's material this church is using faith uh evangelistic strategy this this church is using you know they're just different things i had to look some of them up because i you know i didn't know what many of these were some of them were denomination specific so i think the bigger issue is not the tools but the heart of the bearer of the tools and i think you have to get that right and the first tool you need for that is to ask the congregation and then it kind of births according to the needs from there forward very okay. good Thank you for that, Rob, uh, and the email question. Uh, having another couple of email questions, Ed. Uh, let's see first if Gary Lutzinger from Georgia is on the line. Gary, are you there? You want to ask your question? Yeah, I don't hear Gary, but let me just ask you what he had emailed. Uh, how many of the churches that you interviewed were rural churches, and what advice do you have for family rural churches that need transformation? 
Okay, the exact number is I have it, but I don't think it made the book. But I, I don't remember it off the top of my head. But 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 a good number, and the reason it was a good number is is that that you know when you look at some of the denominations that we survey, there's a large number of denominations that have a strong rural constituency. Assemblies of God, Southern Baptists, both have a strong rural constituency. Um, was the were there substantial differences? No, there really weren't that stood out because we we kind of cr- what called cross tab some of those things. We didn't find a lot that stood out differently. But I think some of the challenges in rural ministry, you know, really kind of flesh themselves out in, uh, you know, the, the, how do you move from basically what you might call the historic approach to that church to new approaches that enable it to engage its community. Um, so, but, but again, we didn't see, you know, my, if, if I had to guess, Bobby, I would speculate that probably uh, they didn't, you know, sometimes we think of a suburban church makes these changes, and there are certain changes we think of that are kind of standard. Probably some of the changes are different, but they didn't rise to the level of statistical significance where they'd show up in our study. And so I, I couldn't say with definitive answer that there's some, you know, some big differences between the uh, the rural and the other settings that we studied as well. So basically what you're saying is many of the, the characteristics and things you found, it, it really was... Uh, cross-cultural in the sense of being a rural culture or a suburban culture or uh inner city or something of that sort. Right, right. Well, and, and here's and here's what I here's what I would say um is is that we've got a what we tried to focus on was principles. And so as such with a principle-based approach, that's what we came up with as we looked at these principles. Um but I would say that that we've got to see those principles applied in different settings. And so my guess is that there will be some differences in applying that in a different in different settings. Absolutely. All right, we have another email question. Uh, Gary uh, Beers uh, from Palmer, Arkansas. Gary, you on the line? Uh, would you like to ask your question? Oh, let's see. AK is not Arkansas. Oh, are you there? Yeah. The question basically is about leadership and change. And okay, step in there close for course, Gary, so we can hear you. All I'm right. sorry, Gary. Can you say that again? I didn't hear you. The question is basically about leadership changes that are needed in today's church to be a comeback church. Let's focus, Ed, specifically on changes that leaders need to make. Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. I think a lot of them had to do with that they had to become leaders. Um, I, I think that we have kind of deleadered the pastor, the pastoral leadership in many of our churches. And, uh, and now again, this this is more of the qualitative end. These are the the pastors that we ask, and and a lot of times we just said we did that. I, I think of one in particular who just basically said, "I decided that I was going to lead God's people to be God's people, and that was more important than having a job." And so I think there's a sense that they really decided to step up and take risk, but calculated risk. It wasn't wanton or it wasn't just thrown out there in a frenetic way, but taking some calculated risk and stepping up in leadership. So I'd say first there was a determination to be leaders. Secondly, and this is one of the things we did talk about in the book, they had to bring other leaders along with them. And uh, and that's a key issue is that that they had a clear and compelling vision, yes, but they brought others along with that vision. And they were able to paint a picture. They were able to uh, get people to to buy into that. They multiplied themselves, and and I think it's kind of key. Uh, you know, Malpers and Mancini in in their book on uh, strategic planning, advanced strategic planning, said 
the intentional process of helping establish and emerging leaders at every level of ministry to assess and develop their Christian character and acquire, reinforce, and refine their ministry knowledge and skills. Boom. That's what they did. Uh, you know, Malfour's and Massini make it, it, it sounds, you know, it's, it's in book form there, but basically they raised up leaders and they spent time with their leaders. We, one of the things we talked about in the book is these, the pastors often spent more time with leaders in the lost and less time with the people clamoring for their attention. They were strategic in their leadership investment. And so under developing leaders, we talked about they multiplied themselves. They, they found resources to develop leaders. Uh, one, one pastor at Willard Christian Alliance Church, he basically said that, that they, they took a priority and then found resources to develop leadership. And that was kind of the, the resources they drew from kind of different places. Now, let me give you a stat that may help. Um, when asked, we, we 279 responded to our question about leadership, and the question was, if strong leadership had a major or vital effect, please describe the leadership factors that affected the comeback, uh, being more proactive, you know, sharing ministry, whatever it may be. We got 12 pages of responses. People were passionate about this. Nine words stood out. Here were the words that stood out most frequently. They might really get at your question. They were attitude, growth, vision, change, unity, proactive, training, sharing, and planning. I, I think those nine words kind of hit out the kind of leadership they began to exercise as comeback leaders. Ed, we're about out of time. And Thank you, I wish Bob. we had a lot more time to unpack uh, more of uh, some of what you've determined and what you've studied and uh, some of these principles that would help us. Um, but but we don't. Uh, I do want to encourage our groups. Uh, we've got a number of groups uh, across the country that are meeting together in anywhere from two to twenty, uh, sitting around a table listening, and uh, and to continue this conversation. We want to encourage that. Uh, we also are going to have uh, uh, ongoing online chat on the missional network, uh, and so you're encouraged to be a part of that if you'd like to. And uh, if you registered uh, and you obviously did, you should have that email link. Uh, in that if you'd like to join us online, that will start in just a couple of minutes. Ed, we want to thank you for your time and sharing your expertise. Thank you for being with us uh, in, in our conference today. Oh, Bobby, glad to do it. Thank you for this vital ministry. You know, you're you're there in, in, uh, up in the North Central. You know, you have this area of ministry, but you've really just impacted across the country with your passion for, for the church and mission. So we appreciate you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for being our guest. I, I know that we haven't answered all of our questions about how to become back churches, but my hope is today that our audio conference has put us back uh, on the right track, the greater kingdom impact. And for our audio conference ministry, I'm Bobby Gilstrap. We want to thank you for joining us today, and I hope that you will join us again next month. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Audio Conference for Pastors. Listen to future episodes by visiting audioconferenceforpastors.com or by subscribing on iTunes. An archive of past episodes is also available. Join us next time as we continue to develop leaders to their God-given capacity on the Audio Conference for Pastors.